0: Dr. Pettit, your prayer that God would raise up preachers out of this student body has been my prayer for most of my adult life. Certainly those years that I was president here, it was my constant prayer that God would touch hearts because that's his business. And the shepherds of the church are his under shepherds. And there are people in this room today that God is calling. And I i understand something of the struggles that you face. I don't know who you are, but you haven't settled yet that this is the calling of God for me. You're wrestling with the thought. It's a frightening thought. I wrestled with it. I didn't settle it till my senior year in college. I took another major because I figured that nobody would expect me to be a preacher if I didn't major in Bible or pastoral studies. But I took all my my elective hours in Bible just in case God might call me to preach. So I had the Greek, and I think I was just maybe six hours short of a Bible major, having all those elective hours in Bible. But I had a preacher father and a preacher grandfather, and there were some well-meaning men along the way of life who would come and preach here and would eat at our table. When I was growing up, uh, we'd eat all of our meals, basically, in the dining common. And those men would come and pat me on my head and say, Oh, little Bobby, we know you're going to be a preacher one day, just like your daddy and your grand." And my stomach just went like that. My gut wrenched at the thought. I was terrified. And when I finally surrendered to the call to preach, that was a hurdle I had to get over. I'm not supposed to preach just because people expect me to preach. Now, I am thankful that I had a father and grandfather and mother and grandmother who never insinuated, not once, that I should preach. There were no expectations. If there had been, I'm sure I would have bolted and run as far and fast as I could. They just said, son find out what God wants you to do and do it. That was reasonable and it was comforting. And uh, one day I went to dad and said, dad, uh, I'm really struggling with this matter of God's will for my life. He said, son, you can be sure that God is more interested in your finding his will for your life than you are in finding it. That was a huge comfort to me. Took a lot of pressure off. So I'm just going to talk to you this morning uh, from a point of view of someone who understands a whole lot of you guys and, and, and where you are in your journey about submission to the will of God and particularly to the thought that God's will might be for you to be a preacher. Would you open your Bibles, please? Uh, Doctor Pettit has already been there, and I would have been happy to sit back and let him preach this sermon. He was well on the way to doing so, and it was good. But uh, um, so I ask you to look at Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12. The Lord ascended on high, it says, and He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors or shepherds, and teachers. Why did he do that? Verse twelve, for the perfecting of the saints. That's all of the redeemed people in all of the Bible preaching churches. The perfecting of the redeemed, the saints, for the work of the ministry. I believe this passage is telling us without question that all saints are to be involved in some kind of ministry. It might be the ministry of agriculture or mechanics, or computers, or business, or education, or, or whatever it is that you feel you're supposed to do in life. But if you're not doing it in the will of God, you ought not to be doing it. Dr. Rathbun made some very clear points along that line in his message yesterday. It's all about doing what God puts you in the world to do. After He saved you, your life became... Not about pursuing your interests, your fantasies, your egocentric desires, but finding a place where God wants you so you can be a minister of His. And He gave pastors and teachers and evangelists and prophets for the perfecting of saints who will be in ministry. And then I ask you to go to Romans chapter 10, for a continuation of this idea. So if some are called to be prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, look at Romans 10, beginning at verse 13. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? or? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Or how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent or commissioned? It is written, How beautiful are the feet of Him, them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. The foot might be the ugliest part of the body, in my estimation, But it can be beautiful if you use those feet to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So what are we presented with in verse 13 of this passage we just read in Romans? We're presented with a promise. In verse 14, we're confronted by a question. In verse 15, we're comforted by a solution. I read something very interesting the other day it occurred in 1930 a man by the name of Harold Vidian became synonymous across the world with heroism on that day of January 21 1930 in the very infancy of radio by the way England's King George V was scheduled to give the opening address at the London Arms Conference. The King's message was to be sent by radio around the world. Donald McCullough, in his book, The Trivialization of God, says that a few minutes before the King was to speak, a member of the CBS staff tripped over the electrical wire and broke it, cutting off all of America from the King of England's speech. With no hesitation, Harold grabbed both ends of that wire that were broken, and he fused it together with his body as the conduit, and for 20 minutes, with that current making him tremble, and in great pain, the message of the king got sent to America, from which it had been severed. Ladies and gentlemen, the king of kings' message must have conduits through which it goes. Would God be pleased to use some of you men here as that conduit? Over the years, in the last 40 years or so, 45 years of the school's history, I've watched the ministerial class, which remained pretty much stable, about 500 to 550 men, for almost 20 years. And each year, some would come believing God had called them to preach, and He would direct them, through various circumstances, out of the ministerial class, into some other part of His will for their life, for which they prepared here. And about the same number, the same percentage of young men who had come here to major in some other area felt called to preach while they were here. And they would transfer then the next year into the ministerial class. Some of you are being moved in your heart away from your major into a ministry major. Doesn't mean that the major you were in was not a good major but it's good for somebody else and perhaps not for you. Is it wrong to desire to be sent? Absolutely not. We're told in 1 Timothy 3, verse 1, this is a true saying, if a man desire the offer of a bishop or a pastor, overseer, he desires a good work. You may desire it, and you may even volunteer for it. It's not wrong to present yourself before God as a volunteer. Isaiah did that when he saw this vision of the holiness of God, and he fell down and said, Woe is me! And God said, Who will go for me to tell this wicked nation of Israel about the judgment they are facing in their idolatrous ways of life. And he said, well, here am I, Lord, send me. Nothing wrong with that. But sometimes when you offer yourself for that, God will say, no, I have something else for you. I have a very good friend, a graduate of this institution, who is very highly placed in an industry. And he is making vast sums of money He told me one time, Bob, he said, I tried my best to get God to let me preach. He said, my whole heart when I was a student at the university was about ministry. I was sure that's what God wanted for me. I begged God to let me preach. But he had something else for me. This man has been involved in church planting, supporting church plants, supporting missions. He's been a generous servant of God in other ways that God had in store for him. Maybe God will say no when you offer yourself. I remember when I was struggling with the will of God, I wanted very much to have a military career. That was my passion. I still get warm blood flowing through my veins when I see someone in military uniform in the service of their country. I desperately wanted to do that. And I even got so desperate that I said, Lord, I'll even be a chaplain if you will let me go in the military. And he was not interested at all in my offer. He had something else for me. But God does desire us to desire the ministry, guys. He does want us to offer ourselves for that. And then he will determine whether it's for us or for somebody else. I read the other day that right now in America, the churches are in desperate uh, dilemma. The number of men in ministry, in church ministry, over the age of 65 is greater than the number of men in ministry 40 and under. That means if something doesn't change, if God doesn't intervene in the lives of young people like you guys here, who have a desire for God, who love God, who really want His will to be done in your life, if you don't present yourself for ministry, if you don't desire that, then where will the Lord find those to fill this egregious gap? Churches are closing. There's a labor shortage in America. You know, the the supply chain is affected by that. And stores only open a few hours a day. They can't find workers. The government, in its stupidity, is paying people to work. And so they're making more money staying home and doing nothing than the wages that they could earn. And so there's a terrible dilemma in America. There's a shortage of workers. Well, that certainly is true in the churches today. Why is it? I think it's described in referring to Demas, who Paul said loved this present age. This present age with its technological distractions, the friendships, secular friendships, the influences of going on in entertainment that war against our souls and sap us of pursuit of God and interest in the things of God materialism what is it going to take to reverse that trend and capture the attention of young men that ministry is really important the evangelization of the world it's going to have to do something's going to have to happen that changes our view of the value of eternity in Christ Monroe Parker was 30 or more years here in, in various roles at the university. He was vice president. He was in charge of the ministerial class and many roles. He was one, a member of the first graduating class at Bob Jones College, a great man of God, a great evangelist. And he felt called of God eventually to go and accept the presidency of the Pillsbury Baptist Bible College. He told me that one day while he was president there, a preacher walked in and said, Dr. Parker, when you were at Bob Jones University, there were 1,200 men in the ministerial class. You were in charge of that class. He said, the pastor said, as I look at the Bible colleges, I see a dwindling supply of men who are wanting to be in the ministry, even thinking about it. What's it going to take, Dr. Parker, to reverse that trend? Bob Jones University, along with the other Bible colleges, is seeing a decrease in ministerial enrollment. What will it take? Dr. Parker, without hesitancy, said, Well, sir, it will take World War III. When I was head of the ministerial class, it was just after World War II. Those men had seen their friends blown the bits in the foxholes. They'd seen carnage at its worst. And they realized that eternity is ahead for all of us. It can come suddenly. And when it comes, if you're not ready, the eternal death, the death of the soul separated from God and hell is the most horrible thought that they could conceive of and they wanted to get men ready to face and be with the Lord in eternity. And he said, Sir, this generation is distracted by other pursuits. Getting people to the knowledge of Jesus Christ is overshadowed by their selfish Designs for what they would like to do with their life, what fascinates them, what energizes them and would give them a sense of, of fulfillment and pride in this world. And until there's something that changed that design and that direction of their mind, we're going to continue to see a decrease in the availability of men for the ministry. Gentlemen, listen. The needs of the hour are great. The hour is late. The issues are eternal. People are perishing. God is not going to leave himself without a witness. Will you be one of them? Where's God going to find these men like you? He can find them anywhere, of course. He can find them out of a bad background. Ernest Reveal, for whom one of these men's dorms is named, was the director and founder of the Evansville, Indiana Rescue Mission. He was a thin little man, high squeaky voice, frail body, preached here almost every year. He had braces on both legs. He was a polio victim when he was young. He ended up in a drunkard's ditch in the middle age of life. He got converted and he founded this rescue mission for men like him. And he was a great man of God. God found him late in life, in a drunkard's ditch. There was a young man that was sitting right down here in one of these seats that came to my office one day and said, i got a story I have to tell you. His story was this. He grew up in a Christian home, a Christian school. He had offices. He was an officer in this youth group. He did a lot of things, but he had no knowledge of Christ, no interest in the things of God. He just got in the flow of it all, and he was as lost as a goose in a snowstorm. And he said, I was sitting in chapel six weeks into the school year, my freshman year. I didn't care about being at BJ. I didn't care about chapel. I didn't care about God. He said, I only came because my uncle, who was a graduate, said, son, if you'll go, I'll pay your way for four years. And he said, I didn't have anything else in mind for my life. And I thought, "Okay, I get a free ride to college. Why not? So he came. He said, I was sitting down there and one day you were preaching in chapel. He said, I don't know what you were preaching about. I didn't care. He said, I was probably on my phone messing around, which I shouldn't have been doing. And he said, I wasn't paying the least bit of attention. And all of a sudden I heard you say, the soul that sinneth, it shall die And he said, that was just like a spear that came to my heart. And I repented of my sin. That day, he said, I'd heard all the gospel. I knew what to do. I repented of my sin. God saved me. He said, inside, I felt such a sense of relief and transformation. Before my next class, I went back to my dorm, I picked up my Bible, I started reading. He said, I just never read my Bible, I didn't care about it. I started reading and all of a sudden, in those few minutes, it just came alive to me. And right there in my dorm room, I said, Lord, I want to preach for you. He got saved and 30 minutes later, he wanted to preach. Sometimes God finds people like that but sometimes and i think most often they get an early start in life like many of you have paul said in second timothy 3 15 about timothy he said from infancy thou hast known the holy scriptures that are able to make you wise unto salvation many of you have been under spiritual influences for years you're the most likely from a child you've heard the gospel message you know the scriptures why has God invested you with that kind of background could it be he wants you to preach when I surrendered to preach that was part of the mix of the whole thing I said Lord I didn't ask to be in this family I don't want to be part of the university I saw the anguish of my father and grandfather and all the administrative things i said lord please let me do something else and then the thought came to me well why should i think he wants me to do something except preach because since the age of 14 in one primitive form or another from the age of 14 i've been preaching sometimes i would go out almost every weekend as a high school boy with the college students and preach in the jails or in the old folks homes it wasn't much preaching just kind of giving a little testimony but declaring the Lord and His saving grace, sometimes in street uh, evangelism. And I said, wait, wait a minute. God, you've had me preaching or in some way involved in your work, in in your cause, in some way, since I was 14. Why should I think now, as a college senior, you suddenly want me to do something else? Maybe because God has given some of you great spiritual privileges. He wants you to build your life upon that foundation that he has entrusted to you. After Paul led Timothy to the Lord, he did lead him to the Lord. He called him in 1 Timothy 1-2, my son in the faith. He took him along with him on his journeys. And he said this of Timothy You've fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came to me at Antioch, Aconium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, because evil men and seducers will become whacked, uh, w- worse and worse, deceiving, being deceived. Continue thou, Timothy, in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing of whom you have learned them. He learned them from From his mother, the Bible tells us, from his grandmother. And then Paul came along and led him to the Lord, and now he's learning from Paul in the mentorship that he received from him. There are many things God is looking for in the lives of those who will be his shepherds, his teachers, his evangelists, his prophets. And time does not permit me, though I would like to, to name numerous ones of those. But one thing is for sure. If you have no heart for God today, unless God changes that by divine intervention, you'll never be a preacher. You don't care about the things of God now enough to even give a testimony in your dorm room or stand up in your church and testify to your saving work of Christ in your heart. The word is not important to it. You're, you're not half listening to it when it's preached, and you, you, you certainly don't read it from day to day as you should. It's just not of interest to you. You're not willing to enter into a, a life of ministry that would make you of no reputation. Preachers are kind of in the world's eyes of the world at, at the bottom of the food chain. Not very well respected. Not very well remunerated. But the retirement benefits in heaven are wonderful. You're not willing to face the reproach that your family and friends would send your way if you let them know that you were going to follow the Lord and His call to you to be a preacher. When you fall into temptation you're not especially convicted to repent you don't love jesus and hate the devil there's nothing that would draw you naturally to serve the lord who is so remotely involved in your life by your design so you're not going to want to give your life to all that comes with vocational ministry. You don't have any sense that judgment be upon me if I don't preach. Uh, Paul spoke of that in 1 Corinthians. He said, I'm an ambassador for Christ. He said elsewhere, Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. Judgment upon me. I've got to preach the gospel. There's no burning in your bones, in your soul. So, for some of you, there is, and you're struggling, as I struggled. So I'm asking you today, if you're one of those men, or when God does get hold of your heart and you become one of those men, seeking to know if His will might be in a pulpit somewhere, what are you waiting for today? Why don't you ask the Damascus question that Paul asked right after his conversion, Lord, what will you have me to do? That's a good start for finding your way to hear the call of God for your ministry. This is the entry door. Lord, what will you have me to do? And then you know that Romans 12, 1 says that we are to present ourselves as a living sacrifice, a slave. I leave you with this illustration. Just a few weeks ago, I was sitting around a preacher's table in Illinois, where I was preaching. And I said to him, Tom, uh, tell me about your call to preach. He said this in a nutshell. I was in a secular college. I was in my second year. I wanted to be the big man on campus. I wanted a reputation of being somebody special. And I was grooming myself for that for a year and a half. And suddenly in my second year, it dawned on me, this is not the way a Christian is supposed to be living his life. I am not supposed to be the center of attention. This is just pure selfishness and carnality. And he said, I felt so ashamed. I just apologized to the Lord and asked him to forgive me. And he said, that summer I went to a camp and he said, uh, one of the preachers said, take out a car. Those of you that love God, those of you that are wanting to know what God created you for. Take out a card and say, Lord, today on this date for you, that would be December 8, I think. This day, December 8, at chapel, after chapel at BJU, I gave up my life to you. You see you've been hearing these things, you know these things, they're in the background of your life, but there has to be a crossing over, a decision time, if you will, when all of that that God has been percolating in your life gets defined in writing, a card that you could put inside your Bible cover and look at it from time to time as you're As your affections begin to to wane, perhaps, you need to sign your life over to Jesus for his will. And for some of you, when you do that, his will be his will will be for you to preach Christ somewhere in a pulpit for the rest of your life. Father. Descend upon us. Father. Let this challenge that was just offered find its way deeply in somebody's life that's been on the borderline, struggling. I understand what they're feeling. I know what it's like. I also know the relief, Lord, that comes when they sign away their life to you. And there are some women here who will not be in a pulpit because that is not your plan. But they will be somewhere in your service, in ministry. Some of these young ladies need to sign a little card saying on this day, I sign my life away to whatever it is God wants me to do. Lord, let them know the joys, the comforts, the relief, and the wonderful future you have planned for them. Who will do that today. In Jesus' name, amen.